When my father was in his early 70s, he was suffering from congestive heart failure due to some bad heart valves um, that he had had since a childhood from having rheumatic fever. And he wasn't going to do anything about it until the whole family said that I had to go talk to him and convince him to go and have the surgery to have his heart valves corrected. So I went and talked to him. I told him, Dad, look, the surgery today is highly successful, and you know, your kids and your grandkids want you around for a long time. So finally, he convinced, I convinced them he should go and have this done. But first, he had to go and have a procedure to diagnose the extent of the problem called a cardiac catheterization. Some of you maybe today or here have had that done. I, the morning that it was supposed to uh, be done, I drove up to Rockford to be with him and my mom, and he was nervous. You know, he had never had this done before. Even though he was a doctor, he was still nervous. So I told him, Dad, look, it's not a big deal. You're going to feel a little poke maybe in your groin or your arm. And then they'll give you a little sedation. You'll feel a little warm sensation through your body as they inject the dye. Half an hour later, it's done, and you go home, and that's it. So he said, okay, and he went ahead and did the procedure. Two hours later, my mom and I still had not heard anything from him or from the cardiologist. And I reassured my mom. I said, don't worry. Everything's fine. I'm sure the cardiologist just had another procedure to do. He got busy, and he just hasn't had a chance to come and talk to us. But at that moment... Over the hospital loudspeakers, we heard this. Code blue, cardiac cath lab. Code blue, cardiac cath lab. I told my mom, Mom, don't worry. It's not Dad. I'm sure Dad is already done, and he just haven't come out and talked to us yet. But then the hospital chaplain showed up, and he told us it was Dad. And he asked to pray with us. And he asked me to start praying. And I am not an eloquent, spontaneous prayer person as some of you are. So after a long pause, all I could say was, Jesus, would you be with my dad right now? Several long moments later, the cardiothoracic surgeon on call came up and talked to us and said, by God's providence, before he left the hospital that night, he happened to stop by the cardiac cath lab. And when he went in there, that's when dad's heart stopped. It seems what had happened is, as the cardiologist was trying to pass the catheter across the heart valves, they were so calcified that he really couldn't do it. So eventually the catheter punctured dad's heart and made it to bleed into the sac around the heart, which eventually choked off the heart and made it stop beating. And the cardiothoracic surgeon was able to release the pressure, and they were rushing my dad into emergency open-heart surgery. Well, praise God, dad survived that surgery. And about eight hours later, my mom and I were in the ICU sitting by his bedside. They allowed us to do that because Dad was on staff at this hospital as a general surgeon, and I think they felt bad for us. So that night, my mom and I were sitting by his bedside, and he started to wake up, and he was agitated. He had tubes coming out of every part of his body, and he couldn't move. He was on a respirator with a tube down his throat. And I said, Dad, what's wrong? Are you in pain? And he shook his head. I said, Dad, you want some pain medication? Shook his head again. And I said, well, Dad, is the tube down your throat? Is that bothering you? Shook his head again. I said, well, Dad, what is it? Like he could really answer that question. <laughs> but then he took his hand in the air, and he started drawing in the air. I, and he shook his head, yes. S, A, 
W, saw, dad, you saw? Who did you see, dad? J, E, S, U, S, Jesus. You saw Jesus, dad? And he shook his head yes and then drifted off to sleep like he had accomplished his mission. My mom and I were amazed. But then I remembered my prayer, my simple prayer. And I was undone as I realized that the God of the universe cared and loved us enough that he heard my simple prayer and answered it with his profound presence and in one of the hardest days of our lives. God had a plan for my dad, and he had a plan for me, and he wanted us to know that he was there with us, Emmanuel. Now, dad's hospital course was stormy. He had a, a bleed into his stomach because he was on a blood thinner, so they had to stop the blood thinner. And because they, you need to be on a blood thinner when you have a heart valve surgery, so when they stopped the blood thinner, he then had a stroke, and he was in the ICU unconscious for over a week. And during that time, my brother and I decided to go in and sing two of his favorite hymns. They were Swedish hymns that are really important to our family. So we went into the ICU and we sang Children of the Heavenly Father and Day by Day. As we wanted everyone to know in that ICU that in spite of Dad's hardships, we still put our faith in our God who had the power to heal him and had a plan for my dad, possibly to restore him to us or possibly to go home and be with Jesus for all eternity. We would wait on God. Well, I'm happy to say my dad fully recovered from that ordeal after about three and a half weeks in the hospital, and we as a family proclaimed God's goodness to all that would listen. This morning, we are going to be seeing that same message as we look at one of the most profound chapters in the Old Testament, Isaiah 40. Chapters 1 through 39 of Isaiah involve the judgment of God against Israel for their sin of breaking their covenant with Yahweh. Because their sins were so great, God would punish them with destruction and exile. But in chapter 40, there is this sudden and dramatic change of tone. God's wrath and judgment have now turned to comfort and to mercy, to ultimate redemption and restoration. In chapter 40, we learn about God's answer to Israel's sin problem that Pastor Todd talked about last week from Isaiah chapter 1. Chapter 40 outlines God's answer to Israel's sin problem, but also describes his desire and his power to accomplish his plan. Isaiah has told Israel that they will be conquered and exiled by the nation of Babylon in about 150 years from that date, but that God would redeem them from that land according to his faithful covenant, according to his faithful character. The people cannot redeem themselves, but God can. All they need to do is to cry out to Yahweh to repent of their sins and then wait on him. Because Yahweh is a God of mercy and comfort who has the power to carry out his plan and his purpose. 
He is a God that deserves their worship. He is a God that deserves our worship. But his plan also demands their proclamation of what he's doing as he empowers them and as he empowers us as well. In our time this morning, we will look at what this passage meant to the people of Isaiah's time. But then we will look at what and how it was interpreted by the New Testament writers. And then we'll look and see how it applies to our own lives today. Would you pray with me? Father Yahweh, I want to praise you this morning for being the only God of the universe, creator and sustainer of all that is. I praise you that you are outside of time and yet you can enter into our pain and suffering as Emmanuel. Thank you that you love us enough to provide a plan back to yourself through your son, Jesus Christ. Empower us today to hear and apply your word delivered through your prophet Isaiah. As we admit our human weakness and finiteness, may we wait upon you and the mighty return of your Son in all his glory with his heavenly host. May we prepare the way for the King of kings, Jesus Christ. Amen. This morning we have 31 verses to work our way through, and we will read chapter 40 in three separate sections. In this first section, verses 1 to 11, we will see that Yahweh is a God of mercy and comfort. Follow along as I read verses 1 through 11, but please note, on the screen, and if you're looking in your Bible and your translation, where it has the Lord, L-O-R-D in all caps, I will be reading the original Hebrew, which is Yahweh, which is God's personal name that he chose for himself from his interactions with Moses in Exodus. Verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from Yahweh's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, In the wilderness, prepare the way of Yahweh. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain, and the glory of Yahweh shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of Yahweh has spoken. A voice says, cry. And I said, well, what should I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of Yahweh blows on it. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go up on a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord Yahweh comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. 
He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Here the wrath of God against sinful Israel is turned into the comfort of a shepherd for his sheep, of a God for his children. He will gather his people back to himself. Judgment has now turned into hope and restoration. Israel's punishment is now over, and Yahweh is returning to Jerusalem. The God King is coming in power, and all his creation will bow to him. The people should prepare for him. The messenger here is not important, only the message. God will return from the wilderness, which probably indicated the Mount Sinai area, and nothing will impede him. Man cannot save himself. Israel cannot save himself, as they are weak and transient, like the grass of spring that springs up in the spring in Israel, but then the hot east winds come and kill it and quickly fades and flies away. But God's powerful word will never pass away. And nothing can stop it from bringing about his will for his people. His power will prevail against all evil, and he will rule forever. This message must be spoken. This message must be proclaimed. This message must be announced. He provides the only hope for a fading and dying humanity. This section ends with this this tender picture of this all-powerful God as the good shepherd, finding his flock and carrying the young lambs next to his heart, actually in the fold of his robe to keep them warm. That is how your creator God sees all his creation who turn to him. It's interesting because all four gospel writers identified John the Baptist with this passage of Scripture. They were confident in applying Isaiah 40 to John because the resurrected Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit illuminated the Scriptures so that they could now understand God's promise of redemption, God's ark of salvation that he had planned. As the angel Gabriel foretold, John was to go before the Messiah, the anointed one, to prepare the people's hearts by making them realize their sins and asking them to repent and then be washed clean in the waters of baptism. After Jesus came and lived among them, and by the time he returned to heaven to sit at the right hand of God the Father, each of the gospel writers knew that God's plan of redemption was through Jesus Christ, taking on himself the sin of the world and being a sacrificial lamb to carry out the justice and the holiness of God. For today, this text tells us that our sin and rebellion comes with a great cost. It has significant consequences. It has ruptured our relationship with our Creator, Yahweh. Like Israel, we can't save ourselves. But the good news is Yahweh's mercy continues today through his son, Jesus Christ. If you find that your life choices have led you to an empty and destructive life, cry out today 
to the only one who can save you, Jesus Christ. For those who have chosen Christ as Lord, we must follow in John the Baptist's footsteps to proclaim what God has done through Jesus Christ. How do we do that? Well, my, my family, we must tell everyone who will listen what God has done, the great things that God has done to save us. We must cry out with Isaiah to the God of comfort and mercy. But we also must worship this God who has power, who has a plan, and who has a purpose for us. Follow along with me as I read this next section, verses 12 through 26. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span and closed the dust of the earth in a measure and, and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of Yahweh? Or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and, and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? And behold, the nations are a drop in the bucket and are counted as dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like, like fine dust. Lebanon could not suffice for fuel, nor of its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are counted by him as, as less than nothing and, and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness compares with him? An idol? Ha! A craftsman casts it and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. And, and he who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. And he seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that, that will not move. Do you not know do you not hear? Has it not been told to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like, like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their hosts by number, calling them all by name and by the greatness of his might and because he is strong in power. Not one is missing. Now God speaks to his audience and he asks several rhetorical questions. Is there anyone in all the universe who is God's equal? In Isaiah's time, the Near Eastern nations believed in a pantheon of gods, each that ruled over this different part of nature. But like his dialogue with Job, Yahweh here declares flatly that there is no one besides him. He alone is God. He alone is creator. 
In all of recorded history up to this point in time, there had never been a nation that had come back from being exiled, had come back to their land. In spite of that, God is going to carry out his intentions for his people, Israel, and bring them back from exile back to their promised land. Israel has seen the power of the nation of Assyria. Assyria came in and conquered the northern kingdom of Israel and almost conquered the southern kingdom, except for Isaiah's faithfulness in calling out for God. And soon, Babylon will come and they will destroy the southern kingdom and take them into exile. But God says, those nations are nothing compared to him. They're an insignificant drop in the bucket, a little piece of dust that has no meaning. They're nothing compared to his power and his glory. His glory is so great that the most abundant forest at the time, which is the forest of Lebanon, which were renowned for extensiveness, the wood would not be enough to be a proper sacrifice for Yahweh. And all the animals in that forest would not be enough for a proper sacrifice to Yahweh. So a man makes an idol out of wood, and he covers it with gold, and he fixes it to a platform so that the wind won't blow it over, and he says, my God. And God answers, really? That's your God? Are you kidding me? You know better. You can see all around you the immensity of my creation and the complexity of what I have created. You know I exist. It is I who sets one nation up and then replaces them with another nation that I choose. Everything in the heavens has been made by my hands. And I know each of them by name. Not one goes missing because of my power and my care. Yahweh is he's high and lifted up. He's outside his creation to care for it. He's above it. He's over it. He is transcendent, ruling the universe with power and with majesty. But he also has a grand design for all his creation, a plan to rescue and restore from the ravages of sin. What's more, and what's amazing to me, he's close enough to us to know each of us by name, watching over them watching over you, watching over me. He's great enough to be able to help, but also near enough because he desires to help. He is present. God with them. God with us. Emmanuel. Peter, in his first letter to the exiles in 1 Peter 1, quotes Isaiah 40, and he uses it in context to encourage the young church who was experiencing hardships. He reminds them of who really is in charge, not the nation of Rome, not the Roman Empire. The one who is in charge is their God and creator, Yahweh, and now his son who has been revealed, Jesus Christ. In today's context, we may cry out as we see the powers of the world, such as Russia or China or maybe even the United States government. We may feel insignificant and lost, especially with all this happened in the last couple of years. A ship adrift on an ocean of powerful evil which seems arrayed against us. 
But God laughs at these nations, at these claims to power and authority. In a moment, he can remove them and replace them. And that includes the United States of America. God has a plan and he's revealed it in his word through the sacrificial death of his own son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. And he's declared victory over evil <coughs> with Christ's resurrection. That is where we must put our hope. Not in man and his boasting, but in this transcendent God who rules all things, but calls each of us by name. Truly, this is a God that deserves their worship, and this is a God that deserves our worship. But not just on Sundays. I have a question for you. Is our whole life an act of worship? Or have we replaced Christ with other idols like money or success or relationships? If I ask you to look at where your money goes this next week or where you spend your time, would we see that God is worshiped? Where do you put your hope? In a political party? In an election? In a retirement fund? Not so much nowadays. Or maybe in your own power to provide success for you and your family. Perhaps it's time to reevaluate. Perhaps it's time we make a change. I hope so, because the God we worship is a God of comfort and mercy, a God with power, plan, and a purpose. And as we'll see now in this last section, he is also a God that empowers us to proclaim his name. Follow along as I read our last section, verses 27 through 31. <clears throat> Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from Yahweh, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Yahweh is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even you shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for Yahweh shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Israel responds to God's declarations here and says, no, it's, it's too late. There's, there's no hope for us. You, you've abandoned us and we're all alone in this world because of our sin. And God responds emphatically by saying, I am Yahweh who always was and always will be. I created all that there is. Everything good that you have comes from me. I never grow tired and old like you. My power is limitless. My power is self-generating. My strength is eternal and unending. My knowledge and wisdom is beyond your comprehension. But what's more, 
I delight to help the weak and the powerless. My heart is drawn to those who have been beaten down, who know their created place in the world. The very best of you will fail to produce what you need to save yourself. But if you delight to wait for me to act, I will restore you to full shalom, to all that you were created to be. You will find your purpose and great joy if you do things my way, in my time, in my power, and in relationship to me and my son, Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, the linking of the transcendent God with the eminent God has come to its climax. In him, the transcendent God has come to us both in humility and in power. He not only knows our condition and is moved by it, but he's actually entered into our condition. He's come. There is nothing beyond his compassion or his power. I don't know about you, but too often when I read those last verses of Isaiah 40, I think about what God could do for me because, you know, after all, it is all about me. Especially as I age, I connect with those who grow faint and weary because every day I grow fainter and wearier. But this chapter is actually all about God. In his great mercy and love, he created us and desires to be with us. Our free will and our stiff necks have caused us to rebel and to go our own way, create other gods that we worship, especially the gods of ourselves. God knew all of that, and in spite of that, he made a way back to himself in Jesus. In the weeks to come, all the way up to Easter, we are going to learn about this plan of the creator of the universe to use all of his power and strength, all of his love and mercy to come be with us. Emmanuel, God with us. God has come near to us in Christ, the anointed one. And we have his promise that he will never, ever leave us. And what's even better and what's more, he's coming back again soon to establish his kingdom forever with us. And he will set everything right that was wrong by our sin. Today, you may be stuck in a view of reality that seems overcome by evil overcome by disease and suffering, overcome by death, overcome by strife with your family or strife with your spouse, strife with your neighbors and coworkers. Chaos is abounding. You may be thinking, God, where are you? Isaiah reminds us today that God is saying first to us, comfort, my comfort I give to you. Cry out to me. 
He is the God of power, and he may intervene this very moment to help you in your distress. But he asks you, more importantly, to raise your vision and see the eternal plan that he has put in place. Look at all the glory that is yet to come and rejoice in that. Our response must be like Isaiah 40, to prepare the way for the return of the king. Things may look dark for us, almost like we are at the end, almost like we are alone and overcome, forgotten, and all the death and destruction and evil. But Isaiah 40 reminds us we are not alone. God is with us, and he has the power and the desire to bring about his plan for mankind. All we need to do is to wait on God, repent of our sins, and then prepare the way for the king. We need to be ambassadors, letting all the people know that the king is coming again soon. Can you do that? Can I do that? Well, Isaiah says resoundingly, yes, we can. Would you pray with me? O Yahweh Shaddai, Almighty God, we are overcome when we try and comprehend your immense power and glory. With Isaiah, we are undone by our sinful hearts and minds and our rebellious ways. But even more, our hearts are broken when we understand how much you love us that your heart grieved and yearned for us. And in your great plan of salvation, you prepared a way in the wilderness for your son, Emmanuel, to come and deliver us. Oh God, help us in your Holy Spirit's power this Advent season to prepare the way of the Lord Jesus, to bring many to Jesus for salvation. Amen. Amen.